0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. This morning I'm preaching
1: sermon number two in the series, Go With God. I pray that it will be a blessing to you. We're going to learn some marvelous truths and practical applications in the Word today. I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in a personal way. I want us to look at a couple of scriptures this morning. I want to start out with a passage in Isaiah that will take us back to the book of Exodus. And again, I want to emphasize the message this morning when God calls your number. There's a very familiar passage in Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 8. I learned this verse many, many years ago. And I want us to look at it this morning because it goes so well with this message when God calls your number. Isaiah the prophet said, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, and let me pause here because I don't know what version of the Bible you may have today. Maybe you have a version that says, then said I, my neighbor would be such a better choice at what you have in mind, God. So send them. Maybe the version of the Bible that you have says, and then said I, I'm not equipped for this. Don't even think about it. Or maybe the version of the Bible that you have says, And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us then said I. You you need to talk to that preacher down there.
0: He could do a whole lot better job than me. Or maybe the version of the Bible that you have says, And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us then said I. Here am I, send me. Well, I pray that's the version you have. And I hope and pray that you would
1: allow this message today to penetrate your heart, to allow the spirit of God to work freely. As we think about that verse and how it pertains to the message this morning, when God calls your number. And so let us look together today in Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 1. There's some interesting things here this morning, and I want us to look at this. Perhaps today we're going to look at some things in the book of Exodus that you have never, ever seen before. And as I continually emphasize, that's my goal, that's my desire, not to just stand up here and preach a sermon. I could stand up here and preach homiletically, I could preach expositorily, I could preach evangelistically, and, and, and I know how to do those things, and uh, I've been doing them for almost a half a century, but that's not my goal, to just, just to stand up here and talk for 30 minutes. Somebody told me a long time ago, preacher, you got the easiest job in the world. All you got to do is stand up there and talk for 30 minutes. <laughs> I said, well, have at it. that's not my goal my goal is this is to take the word of God as the scripture says rightly dividing the word of truth and I would pray that you could leave here today with something that you have never thought about in the word something you've never seen in the word as many times as you have read the book of exodus and as many times that you are familiarized with this story, maybe today there's something that you have never noticed. And that would be my goal, that you could walk out of this church house and get in your car and say to your neighbor, I never saw that before. But not only seeing something you have never seen, but with that, walk out of here saying, God spoke to me personable way. All right, let's look at it. In Exodus chapter three, verse number one, and we are very well familiar with this passage to a certain degree. Now, Moses kept the flock of the father of of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. I want us to think about that. We're well familiar with that. But I believe there's something in that verse, even alone in itself, you've never noticed. This is an old cliche, and I recognize that. But in this morning's message, when God calls your number, I don't want to associate that with death. That's what we mostly think about when we think about that. That title or that old cliche, when God calls you a number. I don't want to associate it with death. I want to associate it with life and God-given opportunities. Some of you in here today may be keeping up with the NBA basketball playoffs. I like a little, I like all sports except golf. <laughs> now, now, I know there's some golfers in here, but my first experience on the golf course was my last. I went with an evangelist, another preacher, and a friend, and they, they, I never played it. I don't even know what, I don't, you know, most of the time when you play, the, the object is to make the most points. But I found out when you play golf,
0: the fewer points you have is good. And I did not know that there were 18. Country mile holes.
1: <laughs> I, in about 20 minutes, I asked one of them, I said, man, I'm going to need a pack mule for this. I said, all them guys riding mopeds, they're riding carts and things. And I said, and we're walking. Do we not pay enough money? What's up? He said, preacher, we're, we're nowhere near the end. And under my breath, I said, Lord, if I can get off of this piece of ground, I, I will never, ever get back on it again. I even offered to go to the, to the clubhouse to get a cart. They said, no, that takes all the fun out of it. So I'm not a golfer, but I, but I do like all kinds of sports. My big sport is football. Man, Now, I I know I'm in enemy territory here. I know I'm in rival territory. But I love them cowboys. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody somebody asked me a long time ago, Pastor, would there ever, ever, ever be a time that you would pull for the Redskins? (laughs) And I said if they ever play the Chicago Bulls, I will wrote for the risk. And they said, but, but preacher, the Chicago Bulls are basketball players. And I said, so you get the idea, right? But in basketball now, let's think about that just for a minute because all the playoffs are going on right now. In 19... NCAA, and NBA basketball seasons, Michael Jordan, think about this now, whose number was 23. Now, I realize some of this is not going to mean anything to you right now, but I thought it was fascinating. I did some research on this, and I want you to think with me now. His number was 23, and he was asked in his professional career, he was asked to take 51 game-winning or game-losing shots, 51 in his career. 51 times he was asked to take that incredible responsibility. And in an interview, he later said, I missed in all of my playing, he said, I missed more than 9,000 shots in my entire career, Michael Jordan. And he said, in my career, I have lost nearly 300 games. That blew my mind. But then this is what he said. In 26 times, I have been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. Now, think about that just for a moment. So in 51 times, he was asked to shoot the ball. In
0: the last seconds of the game, they called his number. Michael, take the shot.
1: In the last 51 recorded games, listen now, he made
0: 25 baskets. And he missed 26 times. So
1: in the end, Michael Jordan, he missed more than he made. And still without question, every person on the bench with only three seconds left on the clock, everybody on the bench was saying, give the ball to
0: Michael. Pass the ball to Michael. Now, I understand there may have been a rookie or two who
1: maybe even on the practice squad, was sitting there on the bench while everybody was hollering, give the ball to Michael. Maybe, maybe somebody was saying, man, I wish they'd give the ball to me. I wish they put me in the game. I, some of you know I coach the basketball team here in our academy. And I cannot tell you, sometimes people have walked in the door like the Jolly Green Giant. And we have been down as much as 30 points. And I've got my first string playing in the game. Their tongues are dragging the floor. And these guys, and I go over this with them, do not bother me while I'm coaching the game. Stay in your chair. Do not move. Do not hit each other. Stay there. Don't talk. Don't bubble gum. Do not move. And these kids, they'll come up to me in the last 30 seconds of the game. Put me in. And we're losing by 30 points. Now, I'm sure there might have been a rookie or two in Michael's career that was sitting there impatiently and everybody's hollering, give the ball to Michael and I'm sure there may have been somebody that's saying, put me in the game, give me the ball. But I don't believe anybody would have been bold enough or loud enough to speak those words out loud because every other player would have said, have you lost your mind? You know, when I thought about All of that in today's message. I wonder if there are times in our lives when we feel like we're the guy on the bench. When we're looking at people who are in our lives, who seem to have it all together so spiritually, who seem to be making such great strides in their life, who are making game-winning shots by the providential hand of God. And maybe they step back and they see God working in a supernatural way and they ask themselves the question, why can't that be me? Why do I have all the unpleasantries? Why do things always go south for me? Look at him, look at her. They seem to be a giant for God. Why cannot that be me? And maybe it's in those seasons... When we question everything about us, we begin to question everything about God. And maybe you've been asking the question, I wonder, God, when you are going to allow me to get in the game and when are you going to allow me to start making some of the game-winning shots for the kingdom of God? God, when are you going to call my number? Well, look at Exodus 3.1 again. I want you to see this. Now, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and he came to the mountain of God even to harp. Now, the thing that maybe you have never focused on before, first of all in this verse, is the backside. Maybe underline that word if you have a habit of writing in your scripture, the backside of the desert. Perhaps at this point in the life of Moses, he is maybe wondering if this is where he's going to spend the rest of his life on the backside out here in the desert, taking care of sheep. But I want us to look at this a little closer. Look at this passage now. Moses is out on the backside of the desert, and this is the part maybe you have never noticed before. He is pastoring or he is taking care of a flock of sheep that did not even belong to him. Look at that. That's amazing. He's out on the backside, as far as you could get, on the backside of the desert taking care of a flock that he does not even own, that are not even his. They belong to his
0: father-in-law. Now, here's another thing. Moses is a shepherd. And this may be another spiritual truth
1: that you learn today in the Word of God that you've never known before, you've never seen before, but I think it's a good place to remind everyone that the Egyptians hated shepherds. They hated them with a passion. In fact, in Genesis 46, get this on the screen quick, fellas, in 33 and 34, look at this. You have to keep in mind, Moses, who left Egypt, is on the backside of the desert keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. He is a shepherd. He's been out there on the backside for 40 years. Now, I want you to see how the Egyptians felt about shepherds. Genesis 46, 33 through 34, and it came to pass, it shall come to pass, when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, what is your occupation? That you shall say, thy servant's trade hath been about cattle, from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Now think about this. Egyptians hated shepherds with a passion. Now I know this is a conversation that Joseph is having with his brothers, but I give you the scripture just so you will know what Moses is dealing with here. Now, Joseph says they were, to told, they were told to say that they were cattlemen, not shepherds. They were told, don't even mention the word shepherds. Egyptians despise them. All right, so you have to keep in mind that Moses grew up in Egypt as an Egyptian. And in his upbringing, he was probably taught, because of that, he was probably taught to despise shepherds. That was the teaching. That's what he learned in school, despise shepherds. Shepherds are an abomination. Uh, They're they're filthy people. They work with filthy animals. You think about this. in his upbringing, but look at him now. He's in the desert, the backside of the desert, as a shepherd, and he's taking care of somebody else's flock. So imagine him sitting there taking all of this in. He's been doing this for the past 40 years. Years, by the way, that's 14,600 days. He's taking care of these filthy, look at it now, sick, wandering, clueless sheep. Not only that, think about the predators and the thieves that he has to deal with. And I wonder in all these years if Moses ever said, well, I guess this is it. I guess this is all that God has for me. Maybe he said, I guess this is what I am meant to do. And in Egypt, you have to remember they had many gods. Maybe Moses said, well, maybe one of the gods are mad at me because I killed an Egyptian. Maybe this is my punishment out here in the desert with my father-in-law taking care of sheep whom the Egyptians despise, perhaps I'll be right here for another 40 years. Maybe this is the best it gets. Now, it's at this point in the life of Moses that God begins to speak to him. God hadn't worked with Moses in a personal way up until this point. And God begins to make it clear to Moses that No, you're not going to have to spend the rest of your life on the backside of the desert taking sheep. That's not my plan for you. And that the one true God has a purpose and a plan for you. And this one true God is about to call his number. Now look at what God does. And the first point in the outline is learn how to be fruitful where God has placed you. Try to learn that. When we learn how to do this, God will never, ever be through with you. When you learn how to be faithful where he has planted you,
0: God will never, ever be through with you. In Exodus 3, verse
1: 2 and 4, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire and out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire. The bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt?" And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God got his attention, this is important. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, And he said, here am I. A lot of times we tend to have, maybe in our lives, sort of like a hero complex and believe that God can only use certain kinds of people to do his work. God could never use me. He could use Brother Kevin, but God could never use me. But I want you to let this sink deep down in your heart this morning. God is not looking for superheroes. God is looking for obedient, willing followers. That's what he's looking for. Ephesians 5 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Now I can assure you that Moses did not look at this burning bush and say, Oh, here it is. This is the moment that I've been looking for, the moment that I've been searching for. This is the big moment when God's going to call my number and get me out of this desert. Now, listen, that's not how it went at all.
0: Moses definitely is overwhelmed. He is overwhelmed with curiosity, as
1: any of us would be. And he goes to check this thing out to see what's going on. And then, when his attention is caught and he begins to search his thing out, that's when God chooses to speak to him. Now follow this carefully. God first got his attention. After God got his attention, then God began to speak to him. And this is certainly not an uncommon thing in how God deals with you and me. A lot of times our days are way too busy for us to listen to the voice of God. We're way too busy. Things are not like they used to be. I mean, today, listen carefully. And, and this past week, I can give you a, a pure example. I mean, it's, it's been very hectic and very stressful. It's, we've been burning daylight to dark hours. Even from the Wednesday night Bible study, all the prep that went into that, the Wednesday night Bible study, then the Virginia boys would spend all day in a recording studio, spent seven hours recording four songs. And then we came back Friday night and did a concert. I will tell you that my body standing here on the platform, I was in pure pain, physical pain. And then everything we did yesterday and preparing for this service today, listen, listen carefully, I We know what it's like to have our days filled. We know that. And a lot of times on top of the norms, our days are filled with noise and problems and deadlines and selfishness and busyness that we do not take time to say even the blessing over our food. That's how busy we get sometimes, and it's a shame, but it's a truth. Now, I want you to listen to this spiritual truth this morning. Maybe you want to write some of these things down, but the first spiritual truth I want to give you today is this, that before God can speak to us, he must first get our attention. Some may have been wondering for a good while, why isn't God speaking to me? I'm longing to hear that voice. Why isn't God speaking? Sometimes it may be because we're not paying attention when he wants to get our attention. Sometimes we have habits of filling our lives with too many other things. We're just so too busy, preoccupied. But a great spiritual truth is this. When God is trying to get our attention, we need to pay attention. When he's trying to do that. And when you sense that God may be speaking to you, stop, be still, get humble, get on your knees and say the words like young Samuel Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Ask him, Lord, what is it that you're wanting to show me? What is it that you want me to see? Maybe one of the reasons why we can never hear God speaking in our life is because we're the ones doing all the talking. Try to keep this in mind, if you will. Listen to this. If you want God to speak to you, he will not do it until he has your undivided attention. So now, God begins to conversate with Moses, and he begins to formally introduce himself. Now, remember this. When Moses grew up, he grew up in Egypt where there were many false gods. And also remember that the Hebrews in Egypt, they did not have the book of Genesis at this particular time. They only had stories that were passed down to them for the last several hundreds of years. So God begins to speak. He introduces himself, and he says, Moses, pay very close attention to me. And let me ask you a question. When God speaks to you, think about this. When God speaks to you, do you give him the opportunity to display his faithfulness unto you? I mean, when you look at God's work in your life, and I'm sure and I hope and I pray that there are many, many things in your life that when you do have your prayer time and you do talk to God, you can reflect and you can say, God, I remember when I was in this predicament and you, you brought me through. God, I remember when I was going through this and I seemed to be overwhelmed. You brought me through. God, when I look over here at my family situation and I see this and that and that, I know that it could not, never have happened if it had not been for you. Do you give God the opportunity to display his faithfulness in your life? Do you praise him and thank him for his promises that he has kept and the blessings that you have received? Or have you self-identified all of those good things in your own life and say, <laughs> Man, if I hadn't worked this hard, I never would have had that. And if I hadn't made this decision, this would never happen. And if I hadn't put all that earnest effort into this, and if I hadn't had such a charming personality, none of this would ever happen. So let me ask you, what would you consider to be good choices? In James chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no verb and is neither shadow of turning. When God comes to you and says, hey, listen to me, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I am trying to speak to you right now. There's something that I want you to see. We can say, yes, God, and we can acknowledge that. We can say, yes, God, I wouldn't be here had you not been with me. I recognize that it's been your hand guiding me all the way. Or we could say, wait a minute, God. Actually, you know, it was me who filled it all in, all the blanks. I, it was me who filled in all the blanks in my life. You know, it was me, myself and I. I the thing is, take some time to acknowledge him And let God put his faithfulness on display in your life. That's what he did for Moses. He put his faithfulness in full display for Moses God is saying, "Moses, you do not fully know me right now, but I promise you in the next few days, in the time to come, you're going to get to know me very well. He said, "I am the same God who made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Joseph." Now, Moses at this point is completely confounded. He's he's at this burning bush, he sees that it's not being consumed. "Yahweh, is speaking to him, but still he's not really sold out who he is. The only thing he's very sure about is that he's very scared. But God begins to soothe and calm his fear, and he reminds Moses that he has not been absent, he has not been asleep for the last 40 years, that God is very well aware and concerned of the condition of his people. In Exodus 3, 7 and 9, The cry, of the children of Israel, is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Now at this point, I'm I'm not really sure about what Moses is expecting God to do. Maybe he's thinking, okay, God's going to bring about some kind of volcanic explosion and eruption. To get involved in this thing, or or maybe God's going to send an invading army. I, I don't know what Moses is trying to do. I don't know what puzzle he's trying to put together, what he's trying to figure out, but he's sure not expecting to hear what God is about to say. And in verse 10, the word says this Come now, therefore, and I will send thee. I'm going to send you, Moses. Under Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people. The children of Israel out of Egypt. Now I guarantee you this changed everything in the heart of Moses. And Maybe he did get excited when God said he was going to destroy the Egyptians. But when God said he was going to use him to do it, everything came to a screeching halt. In verse 11, and Moses said unto God, who am I? Ho, 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 wait a minute, God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, Moses, I'm calling your number. You are now going to get in the game. I'm going to use you to accomplish this task. And I will tell you that from Moses' point of view, this is probably the most ridiculous thing that Moses had ever heard in his entire life. Moses had been out of Egypt for 40 years. In his mind, there were elders back in Egypt who were far more capable of delivering a message like this uh, to Pharaoh. They had more power. They had more influence. They had more ability. But God is asking Moses, who was in the desert, to go back to Egypt and to become a deliverer for his people. Now, this would be like the coach Looking at
0: Michael in the championship game, needing the winning shot with three seconds on the clock, and then looking at a rookie, he looks at Michael. He said, I
1: know you can do it, man.
0: I know you can.
1: But he turns to a rookie and he says, hey, you know what? I'm going to need you out there to put that ball in the basket. In fact, I'll be honest with you. When I coach the team for the academy, and I've been doing this for a number of years now, I don't know a thing about basketball. Nothing. But this is my, I only have one rule for the whole team. I get them out there in center court, and I will tell them this. In the beginning of the season, the preseason, the practice, I said, listen, only one thing's matter to me, one thing, and that is you put this ball in that basket. <laughs> That's all that matters. And maybe the coach is looking at Michael and saying, I know you're it. Hey, man, hey, I want you to take this ball and put it in the basket. Now think about this. All the while, Moses is saying, I'm not the guy. I'm not the game-winning guy. I'm not the one that can make this shot, Lord. I'm just a dried old shepherd on the backside of the desert. This, This is not a good plan, God. you got it all mixed up here. Moses now wants to remind God that he has more options than him. He's not the guy. Number two, quickly. Never forget that God equips whoever he calls all of the time. All of the time. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now remember, up until this point, Moses has not seen God perform any miracles. Other than this amazing thing he's He's watching at the burning bush. He's never physically, visibly seen God do anything. He's never seen God do anything that gives him the confidence that the power of God is going to be with him in this particular task and that his power is going to enable him to do incredible, supernatural, miraculous things. The only thing that Moses is sure of is this, that he does not have what it takes to put the ball in the basket. He's convinced of that. And he also knows that he does not deserve, nor does he desire to do what God's asking. But you know what? I think that's typical when it comes into the lives and into the perspective of people in leadership to feel this way. You know, I don't think that there are too many of us that says when God calls our number, well, it's about time. Speaking from a pastoral perspective, I can remember back on the early days when God called me into the ministry, I never, I never looked into the face of God and said, you know what? It's about time because I'm your guy.
0: I never said, God,
1: it's about time because I'm the guy who can put the ball in the basket. And there are a lot of young seminary guys today who are coming fresh out of seminary who have that perspective, who walk around who do not know a thimble about you know, anybody that's called to the ministry, you can open this Bible up, let it fall any place where you open it up, and if you're smart enough, if you study enough, you can preach on anything, anytime, anywhere, any place. But let me tell you this, God teaches us not to be a novice. It's not just standing up in front of people and reading a verse of scripture. You have to walk with God. you got to breathe with God. you got to go with God. You've got to depend on God. And a lot of people think that they are coming out of seminary saying, I, God, I'm your man. Man, I can put the ball in the basket. Three or four years down the road, they're completely out of the ministry. I don't, I don't even know anybody in the scripture who ever said, God, I'm your man. I can put the ball in the basket. And here's the thing. God can never and will never ever use anybody with a prideful heart. God resisteth the proud. We're going to see that in James 4 6. Look at this. It's always the humble God uses. In James 4 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. In 1 Peter 5 5, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. God must have humbleness before every task that he points us in. And so, by the way, even in the the New Testament, Saul of Tarsus had to deal with scales over his eyes for three days before God could use him. Jonah had to spend three days in the belly of the whale before God was ready to put the ball into his hand so he could put the ball in the basket. God cannot and will never, ever use the element of pride. Number three, lastly, look at this. The call to God's service always accompanies the promise of God's presence. Moses, he had humility oozing from him. In verse 11, Exodus 3, verse 11 through 14, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name and what shall I say unto them? And God said, Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Look at this. God never ever pushes us into something and says, good luck. God never calls our number and says, I need you to do a task, and I hope that you can make it. I hope that you can survive. I hope that you can get through with this. God is always, when he calls our number and he puts us to task, God is always willing to walk with us and before us and equip us to everything he's called us to do. And Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 7 The word says this, I read through verse 9, And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for thou must go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord... He it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. And Moses wrote this law and delivered it unto the priests, the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and unto all the elders of Israel. Moses, when God said, listen, you're the guy. I'm calling your number. I need you to put the ball in the basket. Moses began to ask God two questions. He said, in verse number 11, he said, who am I? God, you got the wrong dude. Who am I? And then in verse 13 and 14, and he said, and who are you, by the way? Now, keep in mind that God has already introduced himself to Moses, but he does it again. He says, I am that I am. I'm everything that you've ever longed for. I'm everything that you will ever need. I'm everything that you have ever prayed for. I'm everything that the children of Israel will ever need. And in chapter four, by the way, God tells Moses exactly what he will do for him. While God is having this conversation going on, Moses still hesitates and he tries to convince God I am not the guy. Give the ball to Michael. I'm not him. You've got the wrong... And now look at this. He says, okay, I cannot speak. Now I'm going to show you something in the word of God right now that maybe you've never considered. And this is so important. Don't miss this. It applies to me. It applies to you. In verse number four, or chapter four, verse 10, and Moses said, unto the lord oh my lord i'm not eloquent you got the wrong guy give the ball to michael I, lord i'm not eloquent neither therefore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant but i'm slow of speech and slow of tongue and the lord said unto him who hath made your mouth who hath made man's mouth look at this or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind have i not the lord Now, therefore, go and I will be thy mouthpiece and teach thee what thou shalt say. God is saying, listen, man, I've got it all worked out. I've seen it all. I know all about you. You have sugar problems. You have heart problems. You got a stuttering problem. You got a backache. You got diabetes. You got all of this stuff. But I've seen it all. I know everything about you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. Now, Moses is saying, give the ball to Michael. It's not me. Now, God, who has been patient, is getting frustrated with him. He's getting tired of this mess. In fact, the word says he's getting angry. Look at this in verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with uh, thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. And he shall be the spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. Now I want you to see something here. You may be never seen this before because Moses as doing his best to give the ball to Michael. He is saying, give the ball to Aaron, I let him do it. God, I cannot speak. God's saying, I know everything about it. Who gave you that mouth? So here now, Moses, God said, okay, I'll give the ball to Michael. I'll give the ball to Aaron, he'll go, And be your mouth. See, God was not going to let him wiggle out of this thing for anything. anything. God said, okay, I'm going to let Aaron do it. But this is what I want you to see. And it's probably something you've never seen before in the scriptures because Moses, when God did this, missed out for God to work a miracle in his own life because he refused to take God at his word. God knew he had a speech impediment. And God had reassured Moses that he was going to work it all out. And Moses responded for God to just simply let somebody else do it. And so in God's anger, he did. And when he did, let's, here it is. God withdrew his hand of blessing that he had personally carved out for Moses. He was saying this, I know the problem. I know you have a speech impediment, but I'm going before you. And when you go to Pharaoh, I'm going to take that speech impediment out. I'm going to heal your body. You're going to be able to speak to him and give him the word of God with all boldness. Moses said, I'm not the guy. Give the ball to Michael. Give the ball to Aaron. And God said, okay, if that's what you want, I'm going to do it. And God withdrew his blessing, his remarkable miracle healing on Moses because Moses wanted to give the ball to Michael. That's
0: exactly what God did. And he gave the blessing to Aaron. Moses forfeited the blessing of healing Because he refused to be submissive to God, Moses. Listen, he gave
1: up his blessing of physical healing,
0: and God said, "Okay, I'll give the ball to Michael." He gave it to Aaron. I believe
1: that because Moses did this, that he lost the blessing of being totally healed in his body. God gave the blessing that he had for Moses to somebody else. And the biggest problem that Moses had was really not his speech. That was a done thing with God. I know your problem. I'm not going to send you down there looking like a fool, talking like one. I know. Get with it. I want you to put the ball in the basket, and I'm going to take care of this problem. Moses said, not me, God. And so God gave his blessing. He gave the blessing he had carved out for Moses to Aaron because of his lack of obedience. Now, here's the great
0: spiritual truth for today. If God is speaking to you, he will give you everything you need.
1: If God is saying, I'm calling your number and I want you to put the ball in the basket and you're saying, not me, God, give the ball to Michael. Listen, I'm telling you this, if God's calling your number, he will give you everything you need to accomplish the task. He will go with you, he will go before you, In Psalms 138, verse number eight, our musicians come forward. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hand. So the
0: question today is this. Because God is not a respecter of persons. What is it? And Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name that every one of
2: us would allow the sweet Spirit of God to search our hearts. A discerner of hearts, a discerner of thoughts right now. God, may the Spirit of God captivate all of our attention. Now let me ask you the question, what is it that God may be asking of you right now? If he's not a respecter persons, and he has a plan and a purpose for all of us and God is calling your number God God wants you busy. He wants you active. He wants you serving. He wants you in the game. He's calling your number. What is it that he's asking of you? And maybe for whatever reason under the sun, you're saying, give the bowl to Michael. Listen,
1: God has something for all of us. God wants us to awaken out of our pew out of our
2: comfort zones, God wants us to get busy. God wants us to work because there's a night cometh
1: where no man can work. The truth of the matter is this. God's not looking for superheroes. He's looking for followers. And without question, he has
2: called all of our numbers. He wants us all in the game. What is God asking of you today?
1: For some, he may be asking, listen, would you quit running? Would you start trusting? For some, he may be saying, listen, you've been idle way too long. It's time for you to get busy. For some, he may be saying, listen, You've put it off way too long. This may be your only opportunity, your last opportunity. Will you give me your heart today? I don't know what God's asking, but I will tell you this. He's not a respecter of persons, and there's not one person in this building that he will not speak to. There's not one person in this building that he does not want in the game.
2: So whatever it is that God's asking of you, what will you say? Be careful. Be careful with the answer.
1: Because if you say no or send someone else, he may do that and take his blessing of total healing and deliverance
2: and way of escape and bountiful supply he may take it from you and give it to somebody else. Don't say no.
0: You listen to Pastor Tony Kahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.